welcome to the TXRD Fraudcast, where two ignorant assholes talk about women's roller derby. What is up with it? I am Aaron. I'm Josh. And uh, I think first we desperately need to start this one off with uh, some big thanks <laughs> before we even talk about the bout. Yeah, so after our last episode went up and we launched our Twitter and all of that, so many of you um, skaters within the league and uh, fans reached out to us, um, sort of showered us with love, appreciation, um, corrections, all sorts of stuff. We appreciate all of that so, so much. Um, It's actually nuts. Um, So on that note, I do want to say in the last episode, uh, because I'm an idiot, I referred to acute trauma as a hired gun for the Hellcats and wondered, which I thought was a very good question at the time, uh, whether the Hellcats would be asking her back multiple times this season because she did so well. And I was reminded, and I did know this, uh, that she was actually drafted to the Hellcats in November. So that question has been answered. The answer is yes. And it was answered long before I asked it. Um, the other thing that was pointed out to us, um, since we had so much love for the new live stream format and the way that the bouts are being recorded and uploaded right now, um, several of you skaters reached out to let us know that Brawl Rat is responsible for that. So we want to give major, major props to Brawl Rat. They are doing a phenomenal job with that. Yes. It is just super duper great. And we hope to see that kind of continue. Um, and obviously also tons of you came to talk to us at the bout. And um, if I try to remember all of you, I'm going to mess up. But just know that we appreciate all of it. And it actually like it was such a banger of a bout, but I was so overwhelmed by the response that y'all gave us that it was actually so hard for me to pay attention to the like details of right. the bout because <laughs> most of my time sitting in the Palmer Event Center was spent like Having just a panic thinking attack. about all of y'all and like yeah, I don't want to take up a lot of time talking about it, but I think that it's fair to say that both of us suffer from some form of anxiety. Like I'm literally in therapy for it. Um, so yeah, if you. If it seems like we're shy or like awkward or don't have the right words, um, uh, know that we appreciate every every one of you. Yes, it doesn't at all mean the fact that we're shy and awkward does not at all mean that we don't want to hear from yes, y'all and that please. we don't appreciate um, like interacting with y'all and talking to y'all. It just means that like we're dumb and weird, um, yeah. but we love you guys so so much. And set the rec- let's set the record straight. Um, we are big huggers, <laughs> uh, so if you want to give us a hug, I'm more than down uh Janet janet broke our backs <laughs> yeah <laughs> squeezed the brains from our heads so yeah it was probably the best hug of my life yeah easily the best hug and last thing we want to talk about uh really quickly um just uh this sounds weird but i want to plug txrd more formally because i want to make it more clear that we're doing this as fans of txrd and if you are a fan of this podcast in any way um you know subscribe to us to hear more but Ridley, you should be following TXRD's Facebook group. You should be looking at their VODs if you care to see the, the matches after the fact. Um, tell your friends. Uh, share that shit. Because get, getting the word out there is going to only make this thing even better. Yes. Buy tickets. Come out. Support the league. Buy merch. We want y'all to be fans of TXRD. That is like the whole point. Right. So anyway, enough, uh, enough of that. Um, let's talk about the bout. So... This is uh, the bout from February 1st, the Rhinestone Cowgirls versus the Put- I'm sorry, Las Putas del Fuego. The commentary team for this bout were uh, back to Solo Kramer, um, who, as usual, did a great job. Um, he always has that great energy. Uh, I think that I think that Solo Kramer, there's like a there's like a, a, a comfort when it's just kind of him uh, back there, and especially like. As people who have a background in being fans of wrestling, you more so than me. I, yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's why it's so comforting because he just <laughs> he he has that kind of exactly wrestling. I color think that is definitely a big piece of it. Um, and we, I guess, need to thank him for the shout outs and forcing us to get up and get our asses spanked. Yeah, thank um, you for that. Which is that's my second time, and it still you know I, I still think about the first time. It, it still hurts. Uh, but yeah, I think that. Um, I do want to see kind of a second seat with Kramer. I think that there's a uh, kind of a uh, playfulness when he is paired with somebody that I miss um, when it's just kind of him alone. I think that there's no no real back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone everyone who is listening to this and everyone who has ever talked to me knows how strongly I feel about having skaters on announcing a skater who can ask the right questions do like a little bit more of like a personal analysis and have that sort of back and forth 
And mostly, again, from the perspective that I think that it's a benefit to the audiences to just learn more about Derby that way, um, in addition to the sheer like entertainment and hype value. Right. Yeah, which I think is important. Um, and then on the wheel, we had Assault and Vinegar, who uh, was wearing a dominatrix outfit and I think did a great job. <laughs> yeah, the cat suit and the riding crop and many, many jokes about the outfit, many <laughs> self-referential jokes about the outfit, which I thought everyone was always laughing. Yes, I think the, the humor is a big part great, of that Great, great job. <laughs> yeah, so props to that. Um, and this was a, uh, I guess just to, to spoiler alert, <laughs> the ending score was uh, 91 to 77 in favor of the, uh, favor of the Putas. Um, this was a close bout for most of it. This was a nail biter yeah. straight through. So the rhinestones really had a, a strong start and took, I think, like a 15 point lead ish. And then the Putas kind of clawed back and, and really pulled out ahead for the last, like, uh, I'll say 40% of the bout. And clinch the victory. Um, what do you want to talk about first, as far as just like broad themes of this bout? Um, obviously, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think the main theme of this bout was defense, right? Yeah. This was a control-oriented bout from both teams. They don't exactly have the same defensive style, but right. both were super-duper effective. And I think especially we saw that in the first half, the Rhinestone Cowgirls just being able to get a lead and maintain it. Um via their pack cohesion and right. synergy really really well which is kind of weird because at least in recent years both of these teams have actually had some of the strongest jam lineups like the, at least in uh, i'll say like 2016 to now i think that if you were to ask me hey who has some of the best offense in the league these would be two of the teams i would tell you right away and to see them kind of pivot, no pun intended, to more of a uh, control-oriented uh, pack mentality is actually really fascinating to me. Yeah, for sure. A lot of that has to do with skaters' changes, obviously, and just like changes in the meta of TXRD as we keep going forward. The like play styles are being forced to evolve. That's one of the really exciting things about this league format is that every team is constantly forcing every other team to make adjustments and change and evolve to deal with the current landscape of the the skaters that exist and who exactly is like threatening in what exact way um and i think that also like coming into this new season we're seeing not that it wasn't before but that training practice strategy yes specifically tailored to upcoming bouts is a really really big focus for everyone that we've seen so far right kind of a know your foe type yeah. approach yeah I think that that's very apparent in the way that these bouts are shaking out. Right. And I think that there, we'll talk about it when we talk about each team more specifically, but there's a level of cohesion, a level of familiarity that I think it is uh, being showcased way more than um, in, in recent years. Uh, I want to start by talking about the Rhinestone Cowgirls, actually. So I'll, I'll be clear about my uh, kind of uh, pretense coming into this thing. I thought that the return of Nikki Tiki Time Bomb would overshadow anything else that I would see about the rhinestones in this bout. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that that wasn't the case. Like their pack was uh, really tight, had great control, and actually exhibited a lot of what I um, was mentioning in previous episodes about having good control and then also opening up opportunities for your jammer. Uh, they, they had a lot of jammers that came uh, up and were able to bust through because their pack was a more like a like a spearhead formation type of thing yeah absolutely um i actually noticed it was in one of the first maybe three maybe four jams um there was a situation where um dom draper basically like led the rhinestones jammer through the pack sort of like piggyback style like she busted through people with the jammer basically on her hips and pulled her straight through right and we saw a lot of that type of um pack assistance for the rhinestone jammers throughout the bout which is always great to see um because that kind of teamwork is what you need especially and again what i mean um earlier when i said about having strategies tailored to the team that you're fighting the putas like to do walled up defense and that is a way to deal with it if you're not able to just like magic your way through right it's 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 i don't know the irony strikes me because i'm reminded of the dusty double wide days for the rhinestones of them having the wall and the other teams having to come up with the creative strategies around right it. with dusty diablo that that is a definitely right. like how i was introduced to the rhinestone cowgirls yeah. 
So yeah, it's, it's definitely a big shift for them, but a good one. Um, and another thing I wanted to point out is that the the jam lineup for the rhinestones, um, all great. Uh, I think all seasoned uh, jammers for the most part. Yeah. And one big, I think, common theme for all of them is that they have the speed, right? When they bust through, they're going to be faster than almost any other opposing jammer. There are some exceptions, we'll get into that, but almost always, as long as they get ahead, they're going to stay ahead. Yeah, they're the a really agile, really yeah. technical jam rotation. Right. So, um, yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with the rhinestones in this one? Um, not broad strokes. We'll get more into it when okay. we talk about specific um, aspects. All right. So let's switch over to the puttas. Uh, I think that a lot of the same uh, statements could be said about the puttas. A uh, very control-oriented pack. Um, one thing that I think we both noticed going from the first two quarters to the second two quarters is their adaptability. They had a sharp rise in um, adaptation to what was going on in the bout what was going on with the rhinestones. And I think that's actually really the biggest reason why they were able to shift the tide, turn the tide, um, to get the lead and keep the lead. Uh, there was a, a point in the first quarter, I think, where they were keeping the mentality of keeping a four-pack uh, pack and uh, were not necessarily... Um, doing anything with their jammer they let their jammer kind of do their thing which makes sense when you're used to a like a boss who right will make it happen by herself right. while you just completely stonewall the opposing yes. jammer and boss will but i think that uh i think that what helps every other jammer is doing kind of what the rhinestones were doing kind of doing that spearhead thing uh and and creating an opening so we saw that kind of come into play in the second quarter and then was a staple in the third and fourth quarter. Yeah. And it helped them immensely. Yeah. So I, I took a note on this, actually, because one of the things that I noticed really early on in the first quarter was this exact thing. Um, there was a jam where um, I think Heredison was the pivot and she put a four wall of the Puta's pack on Mad Maxican and was able to get Boss a full lap lead on Mad Maxican. Yeah. And I remember that being an outstanding moment because being a full lap ahead of Mad Maxican is nuts. That never happens. It never <laughs> happens. She's so fast. She's so slippery. She's incredibly like smart and good at getting through defense. And this was the perfect counter to her, um, was this really coordinated Heretta skating backwards, putting her blockers out there. Um, but right after that, we saw a jam where the rhinestones had a three wall against battle angel who basically had no help breaking through and that ended up being an 8-0 jam for the rhinestone cowgirls so it was kind of like the benefit and the downside of this exact strategy right. of like stacking up and just like trusting your jammer to get through yep um one of the big theme i saw with the putas and I think I saw it some in the rhinestones, but it really shone through with the putas is uh, consistency of the people in the pack. You had a number of, of skaters that were actually either blocking or pivoting uh, back to back to back. And that creates, I think, a little bit better cohesion, uh, familiarity, I guess, with um, how to use your teammates. My best example is like Heredison has more of an octopus style uh, pivot role where she is touchy feely. She'll grab and use other skaters as the appendages and mm -hmm. kind of really keep them tight together. Um, that helps a lot when you have skaters that know what you're going to do, know how to react and how to kind of, you know, go with the flow. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, I think this is true for both teams, but I think it really stood out for me in the Puta del Fuego pack, how many of their blockers were just in, it felt like, almost every jam and we'll get the stat rolls so we'll be able to like verify these numbers but like Heretta was out there a lot bad habit was out there a lot yep. shipwreck was out there a lot biddy was out there a lot yep. um and having like those consistent groups of people working defense together i think absolutely goes a long way right uh and i guess on the jammer side for the putas uh we we saw strong jammers like they kind of always had. I mean, like Boss is still a god, <laughs> is still a threat, um, continues to be a god. Uh, but we also saw another rising star uh, <laughs> in the star. Um, you made fun of me for making this joke. That's about. Yep, and thank you for pointing that out. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, they they came in. Um, I guess last bout as a uh, hired gun for the Hellcats. 
and uh, really crushed it out. Like they they put in some really great jams, and I kind of characterize them as having more of a like a wild style. So when they jam, there is almost a level of like I have to say like fear, but like it's a nail biter where I'm worried that they're going to be so forceful that they're going to take a tumble and you know pop another finger or whatever you know, i i i'm so terrified but right because their a, fingers were still wrapped right. up yes but it's effective time. like it, it has that kind of like uh that block breaker type mentality where it's like i don't give a shit what your pack is i'm gonna bust through it i'm gonna get through it. i'm gonna go fast and not never stop yes. just keep going and going and going which the the one thing i'll say about that is that we didn't see that stop one thing that used to be the case for the putas back in like the 2013 through 15 16 era is that they used to be a uh, a team that started off really strong and actually kind of petered out by like end of third quarter beginning of fourth quarter and, and i think because of stamina right right More it was a stamina else. thing and, and kind of a rotation issue let's say but that didn't appear to be the case here at all in fact quite the opposite they seem to be a team based around momentum uh they they got the momentum and kept it uh towards the end and i think that the star really kind of helped that yeah absolutely and i think that Overall, this season, I think that we're seeing the bench managers um, picking out lineups that are really well tailored to the skaters that have huge amounts of stamina and endurance and getting them the breaks exactly when they need it to make sure. Because I think like we just haven't noticed extreme, extreme exhaustion in the third and fourth quarters like we used to yes, a few seasons ago team. from yeah. almost any team. Right. Um which might speak to just a smarter, a smarter like lineup uh, strategy, kind of making sure that your your biggest players are not necessarily jamming, pivoting, blocking all the time. Back exactly. Back. So it's easy to like notice the people who seem to be out there all the time, and I won't notice you know when they're given breaks and when they're taken out. Um, but it seems very apparent that whatever's happening on the bench is making sure to preserve like skaters' condition. Right. It's just going unseen by me, so it's something that I'm sort of making a mental note out loud right now to look out for in the future. Right. So now let's get into our uh, officially named now segment, The Jammies, which is kind of our little shitty awards for you know skaters that we think that are Highly job. prestigious awards. <laughs> Highly prestigious. I'm sure they're going to be uh, you know marked down in history. Um, so we've kind of tweaked this a little bit. So... Just from top to bottom, our jammies uh, in order are going to be most valuable pivot, most valuable blocker, most valuable jammer, sickest penalty, and play of the game. Uh, so let's start with most valuable pivot, and I'll let you kind of launch into this. Yeah, I mean, I had it in my head going into this bout to watch out for Putas pivots. Um, there have been a lot of different pivoting styles that have come through the Putas over the years. And so I had in my mind to look out for that. And I think my most valuable pivot has to be Horeta Sin. I think that in a bout where I was really worried about the Putas' ability to deal with Nikki Tiki Time Bomb, Horeta and Bad Habitch together as a unit did such a good job of consciously dealing with that threat over and over and over again. Nikki was still able to accomplish a lot, but I have seen and I remember bouts where Nikki is just completely unstoppable. And right now, the Rhinestones, it's not even just Nikki that you have to watch out right. for. You have Tornado Sally. You have Dom Draper, who can put out really, really impressive jams. Mad Mexican. We have Mad Mexican, <laughs> who is borderline unstoppable. like unstoppable. Yeah. Um, so I think that the coordinated defense being so good on the um, Putas Del Fuego side, and especially walling up at the back of the pack with Horetison as pivot, skating backwards, and yes. coordinating her blockers around her, and just the sheer like number of jams that she was in, back to back to back, and she put in work as a jammer, it it's actually like crazy. But I think that that's a huge part of how the Putas were able to stay in it through halftime when they were behind and then ride out their momentum, their increasing momentum to actually get the win by the end. Right. And I'm going to throw out a, uh, a shout out to like a boss. Um, I think that boss, when, when she pivots, there is a vocalization that you, um, you don't always see from a pivot. I think boss will get out in front, like quite a bit out in front, will assess the situation and will actually yell at her team to 
do a thing or go somewhere, uh, which allows them to keep uh, keep themselves on the same page in a way that um, sometimes is lost in in teams that don't vocalize as much. Yeah, absolutely. So the next jammy is the most valuable blocker. Uh, so I want to kind of take a this is this might be a cop out. I don't know. This you, was you a me. super hard one for this bout. So right. I think so my my most valuable blocker for this bout actually are both packs as a whole. I, I don't think that I have a standout person. I think that both packs did an excellent job. Their their cohesiveness, their intelligence, uh, it, it's just all great. Yeah, I mean, Salty mentioned it, like, at some point, she had made a couple of jokes about how we had all these zero-point jams on both sides, and uh, she'd mentioned a drinking game of, like, take a shot whenever the team that you support actually scores a point. Right. But that's just a credit to how well these packs were handling a wide variety of situations, right? We saw Major Reskates go fully defended. We saw jams where Nikki Tiki Time Bomb was kind of just like skating it through yep. because she couldn't get past, but also her pack was defensively doing the exact same thing to the Puta's jammers. Yeah, we had fascinating major reskates in this one too. And we also had two star passes. We had two attempted star passes on the Puta's Del Fuego yep. at least. And also one on the rhinestones that like almost went unnoticed because I think um it didn't complete, like, the penny pass just didn't actually happen, but okay. I believe it was Mother Mayhem was trying to do it, right. um, which I really like to see, actually, um, because it shows an awareness of, like, when your ability as a jammer has sort of broken down. Um, it's always interesting to see jammers make that tactical decision of, like, oh, now I should just switch to defense. That's going to be more valuable. Or, oh, now I should try to get a star pass. Maybe we can still, like, eke something out here. Um, that kind of on-the-fly decision-making, I think, is really, really difficult. And it's cool to see star passes especially be experimented with a little bit more. Because I think, historically, we usually see them as set plays, where it seems very apparent, like, this was the plan when we lined up. Right. Um, so the reactive star pass attempts. Really cool, even if none of them super panned out this time. Yeah. And I'm going to give a, a special shout out to Jose Cuervo. I think that Jose Cuervo um, has always shown uh, great potential as a blocker in a pack. Um, anytime they're up there, uh, they do a phenomenal job. So just a, a small shout out there. Before we move on, I also want to give shout outs to a couple of rhinestone cowgirls here since you mentioned Jose Cuervo. I was actually super impressed by Nikki Tiki Time Mom's defensive capabilities. Yes. Yeah. I obviously she's a seasoned veteran skater so she has to be good at pack play um but obviously she's filed in my mind as this monster jammer i think that's how so many people think of her and i think that her ability to hip check someone like boss and put her on the ground out of the track even if boss recovers instantly and just sprints out of there is super duper impressive um and i thought that she did a lot of defensive work she was in the pack a lot and even as jammer she did a lot of defending and the other person that I noticed doing that uh, was Mad Mexican, sort of for a similar reason. This is a super fast, very threatening jammer that I saw doing a lot of defensive work. And that's kind of, we, we mentioned this before, so it's like the Rhinestones as a team are all very good and cohesive about defense. Um, so I don't think it's a cop-out at all to just give the award to both packs because this was such a good tactical defensive bout. Right. And you love to see it. Fast-paced gems are super exciting. Right. Really strategic defensive play is also super exciting, yes. and everyone should get hyped for it. Absolutely. Uh, next jammy is the most valuable jammer. So I'll let you kind of say your piece on this one. Um, Most valuable jammer for this bout has got a big smile on my face because I'm feeling extremely vindicated for having picked this person as my hired gun <laughs> highlight on our last episode. Um. It's gotta be the star for me. Um, the star is out here as a hired gun on the putas, putting up massive amounts of point consistently. There's this like crazy storyline through the entire bout where the star is basically dueling um, Tornado Sally over and over. Yeah. Four, five, maybe six jams where they were the specific face-off. And I think the first one, uh, Tornado Sally had the edge. And then the star started like pulling it out and clutching it out and just like really, really maximizing their output here right. as a jammer. Um, I think that they're 
an absolute asset. I'm super curious to see if maybe the Putas are trying to draft them at the midseason drafts because um, the star jammed a lot. Yeah. Um, it was actually really interesting on the jammer side. We saw the Rhinestone Cowgirls didn't really jam new skaters that much. Um, they didn't really give their hired guns jam. Mostly their hired guns were in the pack doing defensive work. The exception to this is a, a Blazing Grace, but in my brain, like a Blazing Grace is a veteran Rhinestone Cowgirl. And I, I kind of assume maybe they're trying to draft her again, but that might not be true. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to like discategorize her right. as a as a hired gun because uh, she was one for this bout. But again, like when I see her out there, it, it's in, a good bet literally that she's a in her old Rhinestone kit. Yeah. I just like think right. of her as a rhinestone cowgirl. So there was this thing where the rhinestones have these like essentially like three veteran skaters that are back this season: Shania Payne, um, Nikki Tiki Time Bomb, and for this bout at the very least, a Blazing Grace, um, and weren't needing to skate their hired guns very much. Um, I mean, the the Pujas went all in on hired gun the star, and it paid off really, really well. Um, yeah, I really don't know who else I could have picked. That's yeah, I, I I agree with that. I'm gonna give two shout outs here. Um, one of them is entirely predictable for me, like a boss. Um, I'm a like a boss mark. I will follow like a boss to the end of the earth. Uh, <laughs> there's really nothing more to be said. She's a god. Um, uh, that's it. Um, my second shout out is Mad Maxican. I think we saw Mad Maxican come up as a. I mean, she had a rocket strapped to her back in 2019 (laughs) and it really like took off like crazy. And I think that we were seeing her become a staple, excellent jammer uh, time after time. And I can't wait to see her go up against the other teams uh, this season and and see what we can do. Yeah. So our uh, next jammy is the sickest penalty. And before we get into the actual sickest penalty for us for this bout, I want to take a little little tangent here i want to go on a little side adventure with you and talk about our rankings of minors wait no sorry rankings of minor penalties that was bad sorry uh, so right now in the league there are eight minor penalties on the wheel technically and we'll talk about that but um in order uh for our ranking um so we'll go top down here our number one pick for minor penalty is the relay race so this is a a relay race where you have a baton. Uh, you have three skaters that uh, skate in sequence. They each take a lap. You pass to the next, and after three complete, whoever finishes first wins. Yep. Um, I don't think there are any other rules beyond that, really. I'm sure there are like I'm sure disqualifications there's... that we're not thinking of. Right. But That's we the gist rarely of it. See them. So really, this this uh, minor penalty is all about teamwork. Uh, it's all about speed, obviously. But um, to me, it's also a, a, uh, a play of, of intelligence. Who do you field first? Who do you field last? Um, and I think that you, you always point this out more than me. Yeah, I, I am, the strategy of the relay race is really, really interesting to me. I come from a background where I've like watched a bunch of competition things that have this sort of like 3v3 or 4v4 crew type um, right. situation where it's basically a series of 1v1s and the order of the, the people that you put in matters a lot relay races are very interesting because you have an anchor um so it's not as simple as putting in your three fastest skaters or whatever you want your anchor to be someone who if you are losing at that point in the relay race right potentially is able to clutch it out and your anchor is the and your anchor is going to be the the, last last skater um who goes up um and the other interesting thing about the relay race is that you don't have to get a stationary start so every skater is waiting for their teammate to come around and pass the baton off but the baton passes themselves are a push that creates like right. an initial burst of speed, which can be a double-edged sword if someone pushes you too hard and you just fall over. Yep. Um, so there's this level of synergy and like a really like athletic cooperation that's required and coordination that's required for the relay race to go off smoothly. So whenever I see a team or a group of three skaters that's good at relay races, it is very, very impressive. Right. So our number two for uh, minor penalties is arm wrestling. This is probably my actual favorite one. Uh, I think that I like enjoy the relay race more on an intellectual level, but I'm so hype about arm wrestling. <laughs> yes. Uh, I there are so many you. good arm wrestlers in TXRD and the pop-offs, the flipping of tables, like 
it's so great seeing somebody just get demolished and then you're like fuck this uh so they spark fights sometimes yeah and i think that there there still is that level of like uh that that level of intelligence where you you get a minor penalty and maybe that skater is not good at arm wrestling do you wager another point wager another point and offer up uh somebody who is way better at arm wrestling and and take that risk um so yeah, I think it's always super hyped to, to see an arm wrestle. It's also just a perfect mix of like physical ability and the sports entertainment stuff that right. makes TXRD special. So number three for us is the push cart. So I think similar to the, the relay race, there is a level of coordination here, a level of like um, familiarity. Who do you put up as the cart? Who is the, who's the skater pushing? Mm-hmm. And um, we mentioned it in previous episodes, but I think that one team that always shines in performance of push carts is uh, the Cherry Bombs. They just have so many skaters, uh, you know, Mila, Ninja, Scrappy, especially are the three that I can think of that always get paired up in a push cart and do a phenomenal job. They're just so, like, tight and zoomy. They get it done. Yeah. I don't know that I can really add anything to that. <laughs> push carts are very cool, and they also just seem extremely fun to yes. be pushed around on skates just sounds i don't skate i can't skate i went ice skating once when i was i went ice skating twice when i was a kid and both times it was a disaster and then i just never got on skates again but it looks extremely fun to just be like pushed around very fast uh number four for us is the tug of war and i think that um the tug of war like the arm wrestle can be really hype because it's just a a, a test of not only strength but coordination can you keep on your skates while somebody's tugging on you? Do you do you try and tug from the front or the back? Do you try and do the over-the-shoulder thing where you're running away type of thing? Or do you actually like tug uh, facing your opponent? Um, there's strategy there that I think is really neat. Right, because you'll see people that will loop the rope on their opposite shoulder and do like a cross-body wrap. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff that goes into it. Another really interesting thing about the tug-of-war, um, unlike a lot of minor penalties, is that it scales. So you can have, you know one two three, three the whole skaters, team right on either side of the rope depending on exactly how many penalties right. had here so that's like a, a definitely an interesting aspect to it yep uh number five for us is the two lap duel um i i was surprised that this wasn't higher but really like the two lap duel is um the way it works is you have two skaters they need to complete two laps around uh the bank track but one skater and i always get this wrong one skater has to go down period or down to their knees it's knee or hip has knee to or hit hip. the trick or something, okay. track so or something like we have the rules i yeah. just haven't looked U- at it usually somebody goes down to a knee or their ass basically and then at that point it's fair game you you just go it's off to the races so the strategy here usually is you start off really tepid kind of gauge your opponent and then someone drags someone else down and at the, this point at this point you have to make a, a smart play because someone is going to get up and try to skate away and the person who is down likely if they're if they're playing it right is going to whip themselves off of that person and drag them down and then it becomes who is going to get the right counter whip to get the lead and as soon as you get the lead usually you win the two lap duel it's an exciting one because there's this level of gambling where you're basically throwing these 50 50s on like right (laughs) who is actually going to like just because i got this whip Am I actually going to get to run away with it, or am I immediately grabbed by the shirt right. and counter whipped? Um, I think that's very interesting. I think it plays out in a lot of different ways, and we'll get to this later. But this bout had a very interesting way that yes. it ended up going. Yeah. Uh, number six for us is the pillow fight. So the pillow fight is, I think, something that we I want to say we probably see it at every bout. Yeah, it's um, probably the fan favorite by far. Yeah. And we'll get to why at number seven <laughs> but the pillow fight essentially two skaters get a pillow each the pillows are themed which is cool they're color coordinated for each team um which i like and it, it is a pillow fight in air quotes really because you don't even really need to use the pillows you just fight and yeah as they say it's a no holds barred yes and no holds barred. that's not what that means really but it's a it's essentially a no disqualifications like uh uh brawl and the the common strategy we always see is that somebody essentially just sits on top of somebody else. They get them down. They, yeah, you they, get the pin. They get the straddle, and then they you know, start yeah. doing something, whether it's wailing on them with a pillow or what. Um, this minor penalty is decided entirely by uh, by Spank Alley, um, which, you know, Spank Alley is, I think, 10 or 12 people who sit by the wheel. Something like that. I think I've never 10. actually counted the chairs. I think it's 10 people who sit by the wheel, and they vote, you know, who won this one. 
In fact, I don't even know that they do the fan cheering anymore. They used to do it where it's like, who thinks the yeah, this team won? They do sometimes, but it's... Yeah, I guess now that you mention it in this season, not as much. Right. Uh, but even so, the pillow fights are like played up massively for the fans. So we've seen like coordinated bumps. Whoever is quote unquote losing the pillow fight will, you know, like really, really ham it up and like have a mini tantrum in the track. They like really, really put a lot of like entertainment stuff into it right. to make it look just really, really fun. And the audience always will cheer and clap and yell and scream and... You can just tell that everyone in the room loves the pillow fight. I think that the reason it's not higher up on our list is that maybe we, the, the two of us, just happen to appreciate more of a technical display for the minor penalty. Like a lot of our enjoyment for minor penalties comes from like that strategy aspect or the performance aspect. And it is balanced for that, right? The rule set yeah. makes sure that towards the end of the bout, you no longer have subjective penalties yeah. like that. And I think the other thing that goes into it is just that we see it all the time. All the time. Which, as you're going to mention, our yeah, number so seven choice. The reason we see it all the time is because number seven is judge's choice. And the judge's choice is simply the the penalty mistress um, asks Spank Alley, hey, what do you want to see? And almost always they look at the wheel and they're like, oh, pillow fight sounds neat. And that's it. And then you get a pillow fight <laughs> almost every time. So essentially, pillow fight has two chunks of an eight-part wheel. And percentage-wise, that's why we always see it uh, yeah. happen uh, at some point in about. So what you're saying is that it's not that we dislike the pillow fight by any means. It's that we're salty that sometimes pillow fight prevents us from seeing our favorite penalty. Sure, that's fair. <laughs> and, and it's because of judge's choice, which is why it's number seven. However, number eight, if you're paying attention, is the long jump. Probably the most contentious uh, minor penalty amongst our friend group for Derby. And I'll let you kind of uh, describe why we put this last. Yeah, so I want to talk about what is cool about the long jump. Um the long jump is iconic, for one thing. It is, like, one of the most impressive-looking, high-flying, like, derby action things that happens. Um, I can think of really iconic roller derby, like, pictures that I've seen tons of time, including one of Sacrilicious yep. doing, it's like, seemingly superhuman Basically long flying, jump. yeah. And then I remember in 2014 or 15, maybe, watching... Hustlepuff do the longest yeah. of jumps, the longest long jump that I've ever seen in my life. And then I remember when Thumper debuted and was always put on long jump, and she pioneered that weird style of like jumping and then whipping her hips around midair and like landing basically like perpendicular, sitting on the yeah. track um, to like eke out that extra distance, um, which also like seemed like a relatively safe way to do it, which is the issue that I have with long jumps, which is that no matter how cool they are and how exciting and how hype they are, every time long jump gets called, I'm sitting here holding my breath, hoping that no one gets hurt. And especially, you know, when hired guns go up for long yeah. jumps um, because the veteran skaters are getting an opportunity to rest or whatever. It just... The, the typical strategy you see, that, that, like, unless you're being creative with it, the typical strategy you see is that you, you skate around the track one time, get ahead of steam, and then leap off of the, the starting line for the jump and land on your knees more often than not. Um, and you can kind of game it where you can land on your like shins and kind of slide. And, and obviously these skaters are wearing protective yeah. gear. They train for this. This is practiced. Everyone, quote unquote, like knows how to do this safely. It's a whole like practiced sanctioned thing. Yeah. But derby is already a full contact sport. It's already like literally a dangerous game to be playing um and i don't know for me at least that like empathetic anxiety that i have just like makes it really hard to enjoy yeah i, I don't know if putting a pad down is too like watered down of an event at that point but maybe that would help it because like the, like you said the long jump like athletic part of it is awesome to watch it's the landing that sucks so yeah, like, if exactly. they could put down like a giant like blue pad or something. Yeah, take off air control, mat. everything that these skaters are doing with their bodies, like right. while they're soaring through the air, all of that is great. Yeah. The landing is just so scary. Yeah. So uh, one other thing, uh, currently there are eight minor penalties. There used to be, was it a ninth or did one get swapped in? I can't remember. I think it was a ninth. So back in the, back in the day. I don't know, when we started watching in 2013, there used to be a minor penalty called the dance-off, where two skaters went up, each one got a song, and they would just dance, and usually they would like dim the lights and actually have like a light display, right? Yeah. And then it was a 
an audience uh, cheer for each team, and then the spank judges alley spank alley. They, they would they would vote. So it was the second uh, subjective type of audience engaging thing. And I'm not really sure why they stopped doing it. Maybe they just didn't want another subjective penalty. Actually, now that you mention it, yeah, we just went from two judges P- or two the only spank one. alley penalties. Pillow fight's the only one now that's subjective. Yeah. Everything else is actually has rules and like you win or you don't. Yeah, that's crazy. That might be it. That might just be the Maybe. reason. <laughs> but like, is that not the credo of TXRD? Is that not sports entertainment? Where else can you see a woman in skates, anybody in skates, doing the worm? You yeah, know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think actually my favorite thing about um, the dance-off, low-key has nothing to do with any of that. I would always get excited to see what the song picks were and to see how they related to the team theme yeah. or that like skater's personal taste or personality right. or whatever because I love to see all of that kind of stuff come out um which we see with like rollout songs you yeah. know like we've seen rhinestones come out to old town road yeah i've heard kendrick lamar humble during like a boss gems which makes a lot of sense <laughs> um all of that kind of stuff uh resonates really really strongly yes. with me i think that's like my favorite part about what the dance off was right it's a lot like wrestling it's awesome <laughs> wrestling is great too but yeah i i i miss the dance off and i don't know that's just me but anyway back to our uh sickest penalty for this bout um my sickest penalty was actually a two-lap duel uh where bitty bitty boom boom did the exact strategy that we mentioned where she got the counter whip she was not the first one to uh, to complete the whip, she was actually the second, right? She right. whipped a whip, basically. Yeah, she got up, Mother Mayhem took a short whip yeah. off of her. She reactively grabbed Mother Mayhem's yep. shirt and took the second counter whip. Right, which might have been kayfabe, for lack of a better term, but we're going to pass over that. We're going to assume that it was a real competitive event and they were not playing a game or anything like that. It's the most entertaining sport in the world. In the world. Um, but yeah, that, like that's the kind of strategy that i want to see out of a two-lap duel so played to perfection um so my sickest penalty of the bout is going to be a little bit outside the box because it's basically just something that i found extremely interesting there was a triple major penalty on the rhinestone cowgirls and on the major reskate they fielded too many skaters because nicola virus had gotten a major but didn't sit out and it was uh, this triple major happened on what was already a major reskate. So they were fielding new lineups. There was so much confusion and chaos. <laughs> and so they ended up fielding too many blockers. And Nikki was actually able to score a point on that. Yeah. So even though the rhinestones were out two blockers, they should have been out three blockers. Regardless, Nikki scored on that gem, which is nuts. Crazy yeah. just in and of itself. And the refs pointed out a rule that we had read a long time ago and yeah. I think I've never seen invoked, which is that if three jams occur with back-to-back majors, the offending team is penalized a point, yeah. uh, minus one point basically, for having like continued to do consecutive major penalties and they will continue to be Lose penalized points. as long as that streak continues. But the story gets even crazier <laughs> because at halftime bikini killer and the rhinestones bench argued their case and pointed out that the refs had gotten it wrong so that point was reawarded in between quarters at halftime right so that whole storyline is extremely weird to me and it's super like messy and funny and that is like a thing that i like about txrd is how like lighthearted you can be about mistakes and things like that and right. you just like fix it and roll with it and like whatever yeah I just thought that whole situation was really interesting, especially because, like, the way that it played out, this took, like, 20 minutes of the bout <laughs> yeah. to, like, finally actually be resolved. We, I remember we were looking at, like, Mila and Rola off to the side. Right, trying we to, saw like, so many skaters what's going on for arguing like it minutes. and discussing it and, like, talking yeah. about the rules. And obviously, like, y'all are much more experts about this stuff than we are. We are just trying to figure out, well, yeah. what the hell was happening? It, and also, it's neat to see these, like, kind of niche rules pop up once in a while just to, like, oh, that's cool. Like, I forgot that that was a rule that, that can be enacted. Yeah, um, we get the super truncated rules in the, like pre-bout explanation and printed in the program it's cool to see like how much detail there is for some of this stuff so our final jammy we're returning from the the previous uh, episode is our 
play of the game. So my play of the game is, uh, I think, unconventional. It was going to be unconventional for us. Um, I decided that, you know, this, we, we mentioned it numerous times, that this is a control-heavy bout. And uh, I think that that deserves to be celebrated. I think that one of the most disappointing things for me is that I see sick plays in the pack or sick control in the pack. And because nothing really, quote-unquote, happened, no points were scored, no big, like, exciting things happened, there's not a lot of applause, not a lot of like celebration for it. So fuck it. I'm celebrating it right here. My plays of the game were the two zero point jams that we had in this bout. That might, there might have been more, but I think that there were, there were two, two that, that were like nearly back to back. Yeah, or whatever. that stood out to me. And I think that that speaks to like you almost never see that, especially these days with um, the kind of the meta game of, of Derby shifting the way it has. Um, it speaks a lot to you know, both teams had great jammers in both of those zero-point jams, and they got blocked the whole time. Because both teams had great packs. Great packs, and and were adapting the entire time. I don't know if you noticed, but, like, during those zero-point jams, they weren't just, like, a big morass of, of like, nonsense, like, just, you know, tightly woven. Yeah, it wasn't just chaos, and the jammers right. couldn't make it, it through. Was it was, like, play. so well-coordinated. It, it was awesome to see. And, I, again, I think that that deserves to be celebrated. Yeah, and again, going back to a point that I made in the the previous um, episode or the previous episodes, the um, hired guns and newer skaters are very, very good at that stuff. Like we saw, you know, skater tot beast infection in the pack, death toll in the pack on the rhinestone side. We saw Aida Brain scary fisher in the pack on the Putas del Fuego side, and it seems like. Obviously, not all skaters have the same amount of like familiarity and synergy with each other, but everyone in the league almost seems to be on the same page about how defense generally works and how you have to clump up, how you have to work together, how you have to coordinate with your teammates. Um, and so it's really, really cool to see, especially for these two teams, which Again, like way back in the day, I thought the Rhinestones were a very defensive team. More recently, I've considered them a pretty aggro team. I've considered the Poots as a pretty aggro team because um, they just have such phenomenal jammers who stand out, who just like slice through the pack. Um, right. So yeah, I think that's a really great pick on your part. And I definitely want to credit basically just like everyone on these teams with that stuff. And especially the newer skaters, especially the hired guns, because they are the people on the ground in the pack in a lot of these types of situations who are able to make it happen. Yes, definitely. So that having been said, I think my pick for the jammies, for the play of the game, and I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point, is going to be in quarter two, the star had a nine-point jam that to me was the very beginning of the wave of momentum yeah. that the Puchas were able to ride through to the end of the game because right. they ended at halftime after this jam had happened still at a deficit. And partway through Q3, they finally tied it up. And by the end of Q4, you know, they won. And I think the Puchas are a very, very momentum-based team in general, and especially in this bout, I think that, that I have to credit a big part of that being kicked off and turning the whole bout around to this one moment that just seemed like it started the whole story right the catalyst for the whole thing yeah and i think it's a credit not only to the star but to the entire puta's team and bench yep for recognizing the momentum that they were building maintaining it not letting it get broken you know like taking full advantage of this thing that they're very strong at just like keep going and keep sort of snowballing not like a really hard snowball because this bout was still back and forth it was yeah. still heavily contentious until the very end, there was even talk, like I heard people speculating, um, Rolla maybe, about whether it would go to overtime and how long it had been since we'd seen about go to overtime because the scores were that close. Yep. But yeah, I just think that I really, really enjoy seeing a team just like coalesce and pull together yeah. and execute they clicked. consistently over and over and over again and just like realize the thing that had worked is the thing that we need to hold on to. Right. So I think that that's a great segue into looking forward for both of these teams. And I think that the outlook is really strong for both of them. I think that the Putas showed a lot of, um, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call it evolution, but a lot of adaptability from maybe where they were last season and really strong improvements. Even watching live, we were seeing improvements on that team. 
So yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see where they go. And the Rhinestones, you know, they were right there at the Covello Cup in 2019. And we were worried because, you know, their their roster shakeup was pretty severe. And we didn't know where they were really going to land in 2020. And I think that they landed strong. I think that they're they're here to to uh, be a real threat. Um, so I'm excited to see where they go as well. Yeah, and there are a handful of skaters that on each of these teams that we see improve bout after bout, year after year. Um, Dom Draper on the Rhinestone Cowgirls. It feels like she gets better at this thing every single time we see her. Yep. She's more of a leader, more of a defender, more of a jammer, just all around improving every single time she's out there on the track. And the Rhinestone's picking back up, you know, with Shania Payne coming back, Nikki Tiki Time Bomb coming back. And Probably it, a Blazing Grace. And if they back. do pick up a Blazing Grace, which I assume like they want to, but yeah. um, they will have a very like veteran squad and people that are very familiar with each other. That's like such a great place to be when you've just lost a number of skaters who had history together. Right. To be able to replace them with skaters who also have history with each other. Um, and I think that that type of like team mentality and grouping can only just get better and better as they get more hours on the track. And then on the Puta's side, you know, Brie Coli. Yeah, holy shit. Brie Coli, like, when she, like, heats up, it just keeps going. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to bouts where, like, Brie starts hot and just stays that way straight through because it seems like that is her talent. Um, So many great skaters. We saw Shipwreck do so much work in the Puta's pack. Um, another skater they've been yeah they've been great improving ever since we first saw them as a hired gun it's just like crazy to see how quickly and consistently so many skaters are like training grinding improving and like how obvious it is every time we see them skate i'd love to know and maybe we can address this on a future episode um, with an interview or something but i'd love to know some behind the scenes kind of scuttlebutt on has there been a a shift in that mentality uh, during training? Have teams kind of changed their way of thinking when it comes to training skaters with other skaters? Yeah, I wonder. And I would be very curious to hear from like current league skaters or bench managers or... And -and up-and-comers. like Captains, up-and-comers. What was your experience? Whoever, like what y'all's experience was like. So the next bout is uh, February 29th, and it's going to be the Holy Rollers versus the Cherry Bombs. It's uh, important to note that after the February 29th uh, bout, the next one is April 11th, Hellcats versus Rhinestone Cowgirls. During that kind of down period, we might have an episode about um, maybe some stats review or something like that. Maybe a more lighthearted type. Yeah, I think discussion. our goal going forward is to do these bout recaps right after we watch the bout while everything is fresh in our minds. And then do after like milestones or like midseason breaks, do a little bit more of a focused look at stats and things like that that we find interesting. Um, as we're given a little bit more time to to process it all. And a uh, big shout out to the league for actually providing us with the official stats roles. Yeah. Because um, that's going to help with that a lot. That helps immensely. Um, so yeah, I'm Aaron. I'm Josh. Um, if you're listening to this on any like podcast distribution service, uh, feel free to come check us out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash TXRDfroadcast. And we we need criticism and, and critique. If you have any comments for how to improve the show, um, stuff that you might want to hear, uh, please let us know. Yep. And more than anything else, buy tickets, come to TXRD Bouts. Yep. Come say hi. Get into this whole thing. We're, we're in the VIP seats near the, the wheel every time, so come say hi. Derby is sick. You will love it. Yes. So with that, peace.